we know that we show up today on, um, on a Sunday morning with brothers and sisters in Christ and we get to worship the creator. We get to praise him. We get to, to glorify his name. And that's what we get to do today is we're in a series called No Middle Ground, John chapter six. Will you please open the word of God right now? Uh, it's gonna be easy for us, guys. It's only 71 verses. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna rock through this. John chapter six. Uh, why are we doing this? Normally, I would love to do three, four weeks on John chapter six. So why am I doing all of it in one week? We're wanting, to, we're almost forcing ourselves to present it to you in a way in which we think you can then present it to others. I understand that a lot of, uh, a lot of you um, don't have the same biblical knowledge, but that doesn't keep you from it just because you haven't been to seminary or something like that. Please hear me say that. But we want to be able to help you take this and present it to other people about who Jesus is. Because there is no middle ground. Either you belong to him or you don't. You're surrendered to him or you're not. And so we want to help you be able to take that message and communicate it with excellence to other individuals. So here we are in John chapter 6, and uh, we're going to go ahead and sprint through this first 20 or uh, 21 verses. Let me tell you what's taking place. You had the feeding of 5,000. Get your pens out, get your paper out, get it, get it ready to go. You had the feeding of 5,000. It's one of the few things that we have in all the Gospels. One of the unique things about the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospel of John is he mentions Passover. That's going to be significant, and we'll get to why later on, but he mentions Passover, something you might want to uh, write down there. Here is John stepping in, and he's telling all this taking place at the feeding of 5,000. We know that later on in this story that it's feeding of 5,000 men. That means with women and children and everything else, you're looking at a lot of people. It's right off the Sea of Gal Galilee, which is where he had the Sermon on the Mount. He's beginning the Messianic ministry. He's starting to really speak and do miracles, and people are coming to see what he's going to do. They're wanting to see the miracle. They're wanting to receive something from Christ that they think that they need. So John chapter six jumps into this feeding of 5,000. Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him. Why were they following him? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They saw these signs, like, oh, maybe he could do this for me. It's a great question, why are you following Jesus? Might be a good question for you to even ask. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat there with his disciples. And it's the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. He lifts up his eyes, seeing the large crowd was coming toward him. He says to Philip, "This is this is great. Where are we to buy bread so that these two people may uh, so that these people may eat?" And he said this to test him, for he knew himself what he was going to do. Philip answers, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough. And again, let me tell you right now, 200 denarii is about half a year's wage. So he's like, hey, half a year's wage won't even come close to doing what's needed to be done here. So he throws this out. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says, hey, there's a, there's a, a boy here, five barley loaves. Everybody say barley. This is important. Barley loaves, Why? Why is it important? Because barley loaves is, if it was made out of barley, that's, you would, you would eat it, but it's like the least that you would prepare bread for, for humans. A lot of times it would even be used for animals. So it lets us know this boy, he, this was not a guy of, of wealth. This was not a guy who had a lot to say, oh, here, take some of this. Um, he, he already has the most basic of what is needed for humans. All right. 
So the boy's there, five barley loaves, two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus says, have everybody sit down. The grass is there. Men sit down, 5,000 in number. He takes the loaves, gave thanks for them. So Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks. When he had given thanks, something else to mark there, he distributed to them, to those, all who were seated, the fish, everything they wanted. He gathered up the leftovers so that nothing would be lost. 12 baskets of fragments were left over with the five barley loaves. Everybody say barley. There it is again. So they gathered them up. The people saw the sign that he had done. They said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus asked Philip a question, where shall we buy bread? I'm not blaming Philip for his answer, but I want us to contemplate this for just a brief moment. Where do we buy bread? Philip answered with, and I just logic, 200 denarii, half a year's wage isn't gonna come close to doing what we need to do. We don't have that. So like, what, what is there? He answered from the, a place of logic and common sense. One of the things that we can wrestle with in life is the, the balance between going, man, we know it's by faith that we are saved, but then God gave us wisdom, God gave us intellect, God gave us common sense, and so we want to make decisions based on that. And here's Philip going, well, this is what we can provide for, and he's not considering what God could do. This is the tension that we can have in this. And I think many of us can be earnest in it. It's the same situation as when I meet with pastors and we talk about what their church's vision is and what they're trying to accomplish, what God has called them to. One of the things we often go to is their budget. I say, how do you prepare your budget? And a lot of times a church will prepare their budget. If you don't know this, you're about to learn a lot. Uh, they'll look at, hey, we had this much growth. We know that people don't average, uh, they don't really give the first six to 12 months. Maybe they'll start giving after that. But we know on average, the average person only tithes about 2.3%, not 10%. And so if they're giving, maybe we can increase by 3% because we almost met the budget last year. And so if we could increase by 3%, because we added four families, that would be great. And then, hey, God, here's what we think we can bring in. Do something with it. Anybody learn something there? That's, that's a lot of churches. It's not necessarily all wrong, but here what God is doing is he's going, hey, this is what I'm, uh, this is what I'm wanting to do. He steps in and he said to them, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He's wanting to test him. What we need to learn from this portion of scripture is that we need to examine what God is wanting to see happen and then simply say yes to obedience in him. Because the way that we do a budget at Chapel Point, get ready for this, is, is, is not complicated. We pray, 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 and after that we pray a little bit more. And we examine what God is already doing very carefully and we step in and then we pray some more. You can't tell prayer's integral part. And we say, what do you want God to see happen? Where are you already working? And we pray about it. We look at what needs to be removed. We look at how we can join God better. And I look at the team and say, how much is that going to cost? We present that and say, that's the budget. And then we do this thing called trust God. Now, some people would look at that and go, ah, that's just not logical. I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's where you should go. I don't think that's what you should do. I think you should look at what you think people might do rather than what God could do. So here he steps in. He says, where are we to buy bread? And he answered it very logically. 
But please, can we not, when God is stepping in and he's stepping into our life and Jesus is, in, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in our life, when he is asking us to do something, we have to ask ourselves whether or not we're doing what he wants us to do or are we simply speaking out of what we think we're capable of doing. There's something out there called the prosperity gospel. You ever heard it? Right? It's not very good. Let me tell you one. Because really what that says is that, hey, we think God should provide for us more and more and more. What he's already done isn't enough, so he should keep blessing me. And it takes scripture and it twists it. So we are not a prosperity gospel-oriented church by any means. However, simply because we're not prosperity-driven, one of the things that you need to know, that, that does not mean that we should either be scarcity-driven. And sometimes we think God... We don't consider what God could actually do with our own individual lives. We don't consider that God could do something so much greater than what we have planned. Well, here comes Andrew and he says, here's a boy with some barley loaves and two fish. Maybe this will help. Jesus gives thanks for that. He does that later in this as well. It refers to him giving thanks once again. He takes, takes the simple things that he has and he still gives thanks. I, I would also encourage you because it's referring to Passover at this time as well. Are you giving gratitude and thanks for what God's given or do you always expect more? Why? Because Passover is a celebration of what God did for the Israelites and passing over the homes, but also it's not, it, it continues on for what he did with the people of Israel and his providing of manna for bread. And so it's just this continuation of gratitude and thankful, thankfulness for what God had did uh, and what he had done previously. And now Jesus is giving thanks. Do you have a posture of gratitude and thankfulness? If I looked at your friends and say, man, would, would they say about you, you're just always so thankful for whatever you have, no matter what. That posture is important. Why? Because it's biblical. Jesus took barley loaves, the least that they would probably serve to humans, and he took the fish that they had to feed 5,000 men and then all these women and children as well, and yet he gave thanks for just those very things. He ends up feeding them. They have 12 basketfuls left over. We know the story. But then the people react to Jesus' miracle. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 is a passage you might want to go to. Deuteronomy 18, 15 is talking about some of this. And it's talking about the prophet that is to come into the world. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from, from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And so they're wanting to bring Jesus out. This is the prophet, obviously, that God has brought. We've seen him do signs. We've seen him do miracles. But then verse 15 is interesting because Jesus is giving them bread. He has fed them, provided his miracles. So now they're like, oh, he's the prophet. But they have the wrong understanding of what Jesus is going to do. And so perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to be king, he steps out of the picture and he goes to dwell with the heavenly father. It says, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. At the time, king was a political title. 
And the crowd saw Jesus, and they saw him as someone who would come and overthrow all of the Roman oppression that they had previously known. But Jesus was coming for something greater than politics. Jesus came and gave bread. Will you please say the word fulfillment? One more time. Really bad, but okay. There's a lot of people, fulfillment. Right? It's like saying your kid comes up, they come home, they say, hey, how's your day? What do they say? Good, fine, right? Everybody say the word fulfillment. It's the one word I would use to describe John chapter 6. If you said, give me one word to define John chapter 6, I would say fulfillment. The people were hungry. He provided fulfillment through bread. Now you have a miracle in which Jesus is going to walk on water. Several of the disciples were fishermen. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee was known to, to have these storms just well up on you very quickly. Why? Because it had mountains on each side and it, had almost like, it has almost like a tunnel that goes into it and the wind comes in and it just starts to just generate these waves and everything else. But they grew up on the water. They grew up on the sea and so they were accustomed to it. Here, the disciples are on the water. They go down to the sea. They get into the boat. They start across and it was dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough though because the strong wind was blowing. They rode three or four miles. It doesn't say anything was necessarily wrong with that. It just says the sea was rough because of everything taking place. But then it says, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. And he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him to the boat. Immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus steps into the picture. They see him because he's walking on water. And they're like, oh, he's walking on water. What do we do here? And he has to speak to them and say, it is I do not be afraid. For Jesus, it was enough to simply announce his presence. He was with his disciples and would meet them in their frustration. He would meet them in their fear. He says, for it is I do not be afraid. And he came to help them. When they willingly received him into the boat, the miraculous happened. When they willingly, when they were eager to receive him, it says when they were glad to take him into the boat, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. When they had invited him in. When they had invited him in. When they had invited him in. Jesus provides the bread and the fish, Jesus comes. Once he is invited in, they start to see even more of his power and his significance. And then the rest of the chapter shows to us one of the greatest ways that Jesus is fulfillment for us. There are seven IMs in the Gospel of John. How many? You got to know this stuff. I know a lot don't, but you're learning. We're going to learn together. Seven IMs. And he calls this out as one of the seven IMs. He's already told the Samaritan woman that, listen, I am the living water. Whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty again. Now he's about to look at all these other people and say, guess what? I am the living bread. Whoever eats of this will never be hungry again. I am. So he starts to call out the fact of his significance. The crowds, they're looking for him because of what he had already done and because of everything that they had seen. It tells us that they even get in boats trying to find this guy, right? 
where, near where the place they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. The crowd sees, they're looking for him. He's not anywhere to be found, nor are his disciples. And so it says that they themselves, verse 24, the people got into boats and went to the other side. They went to Capernaum seeking out Jesus. They wanted to find him. Well, they found him in verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they looked at him. They're like, Rabbi, where did you come from? How did you get here? And I wish in this moment he would have said, I walked. I think that would have been fantastic. But he doesn't because that would miss the point. They, they, because they weren't asking for that reason. They were asking because they wanted Jesus to do more for what he had already done. He says, Rabbi, when did you come here? How, you know, how did you even get here? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs. So he could have spoken of the sign of walking across water. It wouldn't have mattered. Would not have mattered because they were looking for him for the wrong reasons. They, they had eaten the fill of loaves. They had seen all of that, and they wanted Jesus to keep providing for them more and more. They didn't recognize that he was the fulfillment. Say fulfillment. They didn't recognize that. They were looking, even for, from Jesus, they were looking for other things for him to be able to provide in order for them to then have fulfillment. In fact, they weren't going to continue to follow him unless Jesus continued to do for them. So he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And he starts talking about the works of God. And they're wanting to know more about the signs. And then he jumps in. This is one of the Passover is important. He says, so they said to them, see what sign do for you. Then what sign do for you that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. They simply didn't compute all that God was doing to provide fulfillment. And so now he's about to utter some words. He's about to call out some words that for some of them, they would draw closer for others, they would end up distancing him, themselves from him and even deserting him. The words are John chapter 6, 35 through 40. My friend Daryl is going to come and read these words for us. But as you listen to these words, you need to understand once again, when many of them heard these, some deserted him and some drew closer to him. John chapter 6 35 through 40, we're going to listen to the word of God and the significance of that and all that it means. Moses had just fed the nation for 40 years with heavenly bread. He had already done that. He had fed a nation for 40 years with heavenly bread. And Jesus is pointing out the manna wasn't from Moses, it was from God. 
And now he's going to point out that he is also the bread of life. And so as Daryl I comes, what I'm going to ask right now, can we please stand for the reading of the word of God? John chapter 6, 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, if you want to know how um, the people received this, in John chapter 6, verse 41, he then says, the people began to murmur. When there's a murmuring, when there's a complaining, when there's a grumbling, oh no. Which is exactly what the people did in the wilderness. What Jesus provided was not good enough for them. And so they murmured and they complained and they grumbled. And now they're already starting to murmur once again. And yet Jesus just said the words, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. Those who believe in me will never thirst. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. He's wanting them to know that fulfillment, say fulfillment, is only found in him. And yet we know that we look other places for fulfillment, but fulfillment is only found in Jesus. Now let's just get real, let's, get, let's go to real life for a moment. Where do we find fulfillment, right? When, when we are in sorrow or in, we wanna be comforted, where do you go first? Is it to Jesus? Is it to your relationship with the heavenly father? When there's stress and strife, where are places that you go for comfort? Right? These are things that we often talk about because it's just reality. For some people, uh, you may get stressed or you might have some anxiety and you run to food. Anybody does that? Anybody? I, really? Yeah. I do. I don't eat a lot of desserts. So like when my, like my staff gets onto me, like when I go to Post Family Farm for donuts. So like, Joel, we got to talk. Like we know you're depressed right now, like something's going on because you don't eat donuts and now you're eating donuts. You just had two dozen um, and right? Um, I'm praying that Post Family Farm is able to supply all their financial needs but that they would no longer be able to make donuts, um, right? Because I don't know how to eat one of those um, but they're great and I don't like to eat them but unless I'm stressed. And so some people go to food. You go to other things, you immediately go to comfort food. I'm from the South, right? And we literally have places, they serve nothing but comfort food. What, what's comfort food? Comfort food, mac and cheese, amen? amen. Right? Um, comfort food would be gravy with a little bit of mashed potatoes on top, amen? amen. Right? Meatloaf, stuff like that, that's all comfort food. If you run to that first in order to hide from things, then there's a problem with where you find fulfillment. Some of us find fulfillment by going quiet. We just, you know what, we... 
we, we don't know what to do because we, we're stressed, we have anxiety, or we don't know what to do with all the world around us. And so as believers, we just get really quiet and we go turtle and we keep stepping back more and more. So we stop exercising our voice. For other people, um, we try to find comfort and fulfillment. Um, maybe it's in pornography or it's in lust or looking at all the filth that is there. And you keep having to do it. Why? Because it doesn't work. You keep on having to go back to the food. Why? Because it doesn't work. And yet if we were truly to recognize that Jesus is the bread of life, that then that is where we can have fellowship with God. That's what we yearn for more than anything else. Right? I, I, uh, some of you know I used to run a good bit. I don't run anymore. Um, God spoke to me and said that is from the evil one. Um, <laughs> right? Um, it's just like, like, am I supposed to hurt this bad all the time? Um, but then yesterday, my wife's like, honey, it's such a beautiful day in West Michigan. Let's go for a run. I was like, sure, I'll go for a walk. She goes, no. I said, run. I said, sure, I'll walk. And she goes, no, you, you need, honey, you need to run. Um, and I said, fine, I so badly want to be with you that I will go for a run. So we ran. I was like, I thought we'd run a mile. We went four. It was evil. Um, but I so badly wanted to be with her. I knew that that's fulfillment because two flesh will become one. And you have the same yearning to be with the Heavenly Father if he's where you find true fulfillment. Some of you find fulfillment by buying things. And so you start looking in your closet and you recognize you have a bunch of clothes that still have the tag on them because it's not about that, that particular item. It's because you think you have control in being able to purchase something. That's where you go and find fulfillment. Am I, are any of these applicable to anybody? Yes. And Jesus is letting them know, I am the bread of life. If you keep looking for all these other things, if you keep looking for me to do more for you, it's never going to work. Because you're just going to want more. And you're going to want me to come and overtake Rome. And then there's going to be some other issue later on. You think it's about Rome right now, but it's not. It's because you have emptiness right now. Because your fulfillment's not in me. And so he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not go hungry. Whoever comes to me shall never thirst. And they hear this and right away, they, it says the people began to murmur. They began to complain. They began to grumble because he said, I am the bread of heaven. They're like, man, we know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus said, listen, if you don't think they were complaining, he literally calls out, don't complain about what I said. Verse 43. Everyone who hears and learns from the father comes to me. He just calls it out. He knows that some of them hear this and they're either going to desert him and push away from him or they're going to draw closer to him. but yet they're grumbling. Um, a passage for you to write down that would go straight to that grumbling that it's talking about. The reference would be um, Exodus chapter 16, one through four. Exodus chapter 16, one through four is a grumbling with the Israelites, even though he had just, he, he tells them, listen, manna from heaven, this is what's taking place, right? I'm going to rain down I'm going to rain bread from heaven from, for you. But we know, according to Exodus chapter 16, verse two, that the people of Israel grumbled. Nothing mattered. Nothing that God could 
provide would be enough because God was not their fulfillment. In 45 through 51, he's quoting Isaiah 54 and Jeremiah 31. And you're going, why does he keep calling out all these passages? Because this word of God was given to us over a thousand of years and it lines up perfectly. So here he is quoting Isaiah chapter 54 and Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, and he's letting them know, don't you understand? This is 45 through 51 then. He jumps in and he's like, listen, you guys are to keep, you're going to keep responding this way. I assure you, verse 47, anyone who believes in me already has eternal life. Yes, verse 48, I am the bread of life. I am fulfillment. Say it again. Fulfillment. Fulfillment. Say it, please. I just want you to walk out of here and everything that you do this week, you go fulfillment. Where am I finding fulfillment? Do I believe that he's the bread of life? He says, verse 49, your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, but they all died. There it is. However, the bread from heaven gives eternal life to everyone who eats it. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh offered so that the world may live. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Reminds me of Nicodemus earlier in the same book. How is this true? How is this possible? You see, why, why did they struggle so much with understanding that Jesus is the bread of life? He had just given them bread and fish for thousands. He's now calling out everything with Moses and the people about the manna, about the bread, and he's now letting them know, I am the bread of life. Don't you understand this? Why are they struggling so much? Here's why they're struggling. We often can have two different views of Jesus. Here are the two words, and I, if you would just write these down. Often we have a distorted view of Jesus, a distorted view of Jesus, or an incomplete view of Jesus. Now, I, I would even go and talk about this in terms of major world religions. Like I look at G Jewish people, they have an incomplete view of Jesus. You look at Muslims and I would say they have, an uh, they have a distorted view of Jesus. They believe in Jesus, you can't deny it, but their understanding of who he is and what he came to do. I share that because many of us today, we have sometimes a distorted view of Jesus and we think that he is here to do more for us. Or we have an incomplete view of Jesus. We don't really grasp what he's done. It's what I referenced last week. Some of us were taken to church as kids rather than choosing to go and worship. And so we, we don't have a full view of Jesus because we've never made it our own. You can't give your faith to your children. You can't. That's why we just had baby dedication, not baptism. They don't know what they're doing. It's a decision that we're making as families and as people of God to raise them according to the word of God so that they would understand that he is the bread of life. We're praying that they would grow up to have an understanding of the bread of life, that they would understand what it is to live a complete life, the fulfillment that Jesus brings, that they would make that decision for themselves. Otherwise, their understanding of Jesus is incomplete. 
and it can become distorted. Do we recognize that Jesus is the bread of life, that that is fulfillment? Or are you looking other places? We need to have the courage to evaluate where we actually find fulfillment. Our family likes to play the as long as game sometimes. Like, hey, I'll do this as long as, right? We, know we talk about these kind of things. Um, do you ever play the game with Jesus where, God, I'm going to love you as long as, and you wouldn't say it out loud, but you actually believe it inwardly. God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to do what I can as long as you do this for me. As soon as you do that with God, you're finding fulfillment in the wrong place because God owes you nothing more than what he's already done for you in the giving of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You got to get this. You have to determine where you actually find fulfillment. What table are you eating from? Are you eating the bread of life? We know that in John 8, 44, I'll be preaching it in a month or so, a couple weeks, that Satan is a deceiver. It tells us that Satan will deceive you and he'll let you think that what you're eating is going to fill you up, but it never does. And so you keep having to come back for more and more and more. Will you determine your commitment to eating the bread of life. Determine where you find that fulfillment. Determine if you're willing to be held accountable so that you'll actually eat from the very thing that will give eternal life. And it's so easy to just slide into a posture in life where you just want to have more and more. And Jesus is saying, I'm already enough. I'm already enough. I'm already enough. Everybody say fulfillment. Are you finding fulfillment in Christ? God, I come before you and praise you for being the bread of life. I praise you that you provide fulfillment unlike anything else. You tell us that we don't have to keep looking for more when we've already got you. May we, God, please know what it is to to live a life of fulfillment, a life of peace, a life of comfort. May we not allow temporary voices, may we not allow for temporary voices to keep us from an eternal relationship with the bread of life. Christ's name. Amen.